You guys voted. We listened. This week, it's the greatest college quarterback of all time. Will Tim Tebow be torpedoed? Or will Roger Staubach be gator bait? This is Convince Me. All right, everybody, welcome in. It's another week. It's another episode of the Convince Me Show. I'm Andy Rutherford, joined, as always, by Mr. Brian Bennett, Mr. Casey Alrod. Gentlemen, how goes it? I'm so excited to be the mediator tonight for this show, right? For four long years, Tim Tebow ruined my birthday, and now this is the revenge of the rod happens tonight. Justice will be coming very swiftly tonight for somebody. That, that sounded like a title and then this, like, caption of a really bad porn movie. <laughs> Revenge of the Rod, Justice is Coming. All right, Bennett, how are you? Man, I'm, I'm not maybe not as excited as Elrod, but I think tonight's subject is perfect time to do this. You know, it's getting cooler outside. We've got sports on TV, all sports on TV. So, should be a good episode. Should be one of my favorites. And since both of our um, contestants tonight have clients that won the Heisman Trophy, I thought it was only appropriate that I wore the jersey of the one person that has got screwed out of the Heisman Trophy, the greatest in the history of that trophy. And that yes, is Tebow, did, Tebow did get screwed out of the Heisman Trophy his junior year, and we will get into that and just a little bit later on. You should be wearing a Charles Woodson jersey. Um, no. But anyway, before we get into the meat of the matter, um, guys, follow our socials. Um, we're on Facebook. That's probably our most active page, facebook.com slash show. Every Tuesday night before the show drops, we'll put up a preview. As a matter of fact, you might be watching the preview right now on Facebook. But if you're not, next Tuesday, go check out the preview over there. We are on Twitter at Convince Me Show. And if you were following us on Twitter, you had a chance to vote on this week's show. Our Twitter followers are the ones that picked this topic. If you don't like this topic and you think we should pick better topics, then go follow our Twitter. So the next time we put up a vote, your voice can be heard as well. Uh, and, of course, we're also on Instagram. Uh, Convince Me Show is the handle there. And, of course, the show drops every single week, Wednesday mornings on YouTube, tinyurl.com slash show, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And, gentlemen, I got to be honest. Of the four choices the people had, if I was allowed to vote, I mean, I guess technically I could have voted, but I didn't. I left it completely up to the viewers. This probably wouldn't have been my vote, but I am looking forward to it. Bennett, are you looking forward to this showdown? I'm looking forward to I'm ready to talk some football. It's about dang time. Of course, football coming back. The SEC kicks off this weekend. Uh, of course, we've had some ACC and some, some other things going on uh, for the last couple of weekends. It's that time of year again. Uh, seems a little weird to not have people in the crowds as much. There's a few trickling back in, uh, but it's good to be talking about it again. So, uh, Elrod, without any further ado, do you have anything to say before uh, 
we kick it off. I promise. This is my promise to you, right? I promise to be as 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 impartial as the next Supreme Court justice will be. That's my promise to you. <laughs> we are not getting into that on this show. Well, here is the tiebreaker, or here is the challenge tonight. It is Heisman Trophy related on who goes first tonight. As you know, or as you will learn tonight, both of these quarterbacks won the Heisman Trophy. So to decide who goes first tonight, the category is total offense. I want to know one thing. Closest without going over. I want to know who holds the record for total offense, or I want to know how much offense was one Heisman Trophy winner responsible for in terms of total yardage. Of the Heisman Trophy winners, who has the highest total offense? Highest career or highest for the year they won? Highest career. Actually, no, I'm sorry. One year. This is one-year totals. Highest single total offensive one year. And I'll give you a hint. I'll give you both a hint. Tim Tebow is 12th on this list. Roger Staubach is 32nd on this list. And for a bonus point, there you an go. Elrod point. Okay, go ahead. You can tell me who holds this record. You get an Elrod point. I have no idea. I'm going to take a wild guess. Mm-hmm. Most total yards. Most total yards. Does returns count? Or is it yes. just offensive yards? Offensive yes. yards. So but returns you, you don't, don't return yard. Okay. No, no. This is a tricky one. Mm. <laughs> well. All right. I'll give you five, four, three, two, one. Pencils down, boys. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have? We've got 6,227, and we got 4,578. Bennett is the closest without going over. Who holds the record for most yardage in terms of total offense? Ty Detmer with air raid offense at BYU. 5,022 yards. Second on that list is Kyler Murray. Almost eclipsed him, but he came about 50 yards short. Uh, Tim Tebow, 3,970. And Roger Staubach, 2,073. So over twice as many yards for Ty Detmer in 1990. The Air Raid BYU offense. Um, All right. Never trust anybody named Ty. Nobody <laughs> got trust any Oh, sorry. I guess that was terrible. <laughs> Nobody got any Elrod points, but Bennett was closest without going over. So, Bennett, do you want to go first or second to not with opening statements? I'll go second. Second. All right. Sir Rutt, tell me why Tim Tebow is a better college quarterback than Roger Staubach. I'm going to take my opening argument completely different way than than what I would normally do. Elrod, I want to have I want to have a little chat with you. 
Elrod, tell everybody when your birthday is. September 18th. September 18th, which typically, if the third Saturday in September, if your birthday is on a Saturday, that's going to be the third Saturday in September, correct? It is. All right. Um, for from 2007 to 2010, you're a big Tennessee football fan, correct? Me? No, there's no way. No. Judging, yes. Judging by, judging by what you're wearing. For those four years, there was a man that would either come to town or to Knoxville or, or Tennessee would go to Gainesville. Somebody ruined your birthday four years in a row. Am I am I correct in saying that? Chris Leak really ruined it the first year, not Tim Tebow in, in 2006. Tebow, had, got the years Tebow was part of that game. He it was, was early on. Dallas Baker won that game. Dallas Baker, touchdown maker. But anyway, it's safe to say, Elrod, I know that I could come in here tonight and have the perfect argument. Matter of fact, I plan to do just that. But unless Bennett completely fumbles the ball, which I don't expect him to do, I'm not expecting to win tonight. So in <laughs> a strange way – I'm going off the format of this show, and I'm not trying to convince you because I don't think there's anything I can say to convince you. But I'm still going to make my argument, but I'm going to make it to you, the listener. Because Elrod is not going to give me this argument by any means, but I want you all, based on your own merit, based on the arguments, without any bias, to really pay attention tonight. Because if I can somehow convince Elrod, if hell freezes over tonight and that happens, that would be fantastic. But I'm not trying to get approval I'm not going to get. But to you, the listener, or viewer, if you're watching on YouTube, what I want to show you is this. Elrod, I'm not even talking to you anymore for right now. I'll get back to you when we get into arguments. But for you, the listener, yeah, yeah. The you thing. just come home right back. When somebody says, who's the greatest college football player of all time, there's going to be a lot of answers. There's going to be Herschel Walker. There's going to be Jim Brown. There's going to be uh, Archie Griffin. There's going to be a lot of answers. And if you had somebody to make a list, if you went online and looked for a list, you're going to find all those names at the top. But in almost every list that you go through, there are some exceptions, but in almost everyone you go through, at the top of that, the highest person on that list, that's designation is QB instead of RB, is going to be Mr. Tim Tebow. Now, I did find a few that had Mr. Tim Tebow as number one. But in general, I, don't, I wouldn't even make the argument he's the greatest college football player ever, although that can be made, but that's not what we're arguing tonight. We're talking quarterback. Tim Tebow will be on most of those lists your first quarterback named. Now, there are other great quarterbacks that have played college football. There's your Matt Leinerts of the world. There's your Cam Newtons. There's your Roger Staubachs. But Tim Tebow is and was – at the collegiate level not too long ago, a man of faith, 
a man of character, a leader of men, both on and off the field. And what I will show you, loyal listener, possibly Elrod, but I'm not betting to hold my breath on that. But what I will show you tonight is that Tim Tebow is and was the ultimate competitor, the ultimate winner, the epitome of toughness, and the greatest college quarterback to ever play football. This seven-minute promo brought to you by the University of Florida. Okay. <laughs> what is my check? <laughs> All right, Bennett. Tell me why it's Roger Staubach and not Tim Tebow. Well, when I was thinking about this, I was reflecting back on the history of the NCAA, and there have been many – great quarterbacks from, from each decade, really, that have left their mark on the collegiate level in some way or another. As we know, the quarterback position is the most important position on the field. They're the commander. They're the leader. We know that the quarterback position has also evolved tremendously over the years. Starting out, back in the olden times, the quarterback was really – just like another option to run the ball. And then you, you fast forward to today's time, we've got QBs that are either mobile quarterbacks. We've got quarterbacks that are your quarterback slash running back, like hybrid. We've even got those prolific pocket passers that run these offenses that pass 40, 50, 60 times a game. And then we've got quarterbacks that kind of fall in that category somewhere mixed in, in, in between all that. But when you think of all the quarterbacks that have played at the college level, there are a few that have stood the test of time as more memorable quarterbacks than their peers. And they leave like a lasting impression on fans, on the school, um, on the record books. And just to give a quick example, I can – name off three great quarterbacks from all three of our favorite schools for Florida state. you got Charlie Ward, you got Chris Winkie and Jameis Winston for Florida. There's Steve Spurrier, Danny Warfel, and of course, Tim Tebow. And for UT, there's Heath Schuler, T Martin and Eric Ainge. No, I'm just kidding. Eight man. And of course, eight <laughs> Now you could make an argument that each of these quarterbacks is better at this or better at that. Maybe, you know, let's take, for example, Florida State. Maybe Jameis was better at scoring. Maybe Winky had the better stats. And maybe Charlie Ward had the overall better ability. <clears throat> but oh there's one thing that really sticks out to me more than any other quarterback. There's one that undoubtedly is the greatest quarterback from his school by far. He's the greatest player from his school. He's probably, and probably actually he is, the greatest player from the armed forces. And I'm going to say the greatest quarterback to ever play in the independent division. He completely changed the game of football at his school. And he's really a true pioneer of the sport as he was one of the one of the first true dual threat quarterbacks and a dang good one too. 
course, I'm talking about Roger Stallback, a.k.a. Roger the Dodger, a.k.a. Captain Comeback, a.k.a. Captain America. I'd argue that there's nobody that's ever meant any more to their school than Roger Stallback has. He's the measuring stick of leadership, like, like Tebow. He's measuring stick of resiliency, toughness, and like the gentleman that Rutt talked about, Mr. Tebow, he is the epitome of greatness both on and off the field. So, Elrod, tonight I'm going to present you with some very solid evidence that would point to Roger Stallback as the greatest all-around NCAA I like quarterback it. I like of all it. time. All right. All right. Well, gentlemen, this is going to be a good one. If you're watching this on Facebook, this is where it ends for you. You want to know who wins this? You've got to come tomorrow to YouTube or to the podcast to find out. If you're on YouTube with the podcast right now, you just got to sit through this commercial. And then we'll get right back to you. But if you're on Facebook, be sure to check us out um, tomorrow on the podcast, on YouTube, wherever you are. Be sure to check us out next week. We've got a different kind of episode coming up for you next week. It's a little different than anything we've done thus far. Um, but it will be a lot of fun. We hope to see you then. Uh, Facebook people, peace. Podcast and YouTube people, we'll be right back right after this. And we are back. Elrod, where are we going next? We're going to go back to the beginning for each of these men. And we're going to start off with you, right, with Mr. Tebow. Now, my first my first remembrance of Tim Tebow was not him breaking my heart two days before my birthday in 2006 in Neyland Stadium. It was watching him on – I believe he was on an episode of Two-A-Days – on MTV. I think Hoover was playing his high school in Florida for a game. That was the first time I saw Tim Tebow was on one of those episodes. Uh, Rush he, Pro. I don't think that, I don't think he was on two days. He was on the ESPN special. They I, I'm pretty lot. sure he was on, in 2005, he was on the episode. I remember him. What? Fat checker on that. So take me back to the beginning. Tell me about that, his high school uh, career, and talk to me about his recruitment as well. Do we need to hire a fact checker? We do. We do. We need, we need a fourth man on this show. We'll put we need to hire a producer to edit all this crap because I suck at that. But anyway, before we get into to his high school, let's go all the way back to the beginning of Tim Tebow's life just to kind of show us what kind of fighter he really is. In a nutshell, Tebow's parents both attended school at the University of Florida. Uh, they met there. They got married. They had some kids. They moved to the Philippines. Uh, they're Christian people. They were there doing some ministry, and it wasn't just, you know, they went in for a mission trip for a week or two. They lived there uh, for a decent little while. Tim Tebow's mother, while they were in the Philippines, contracted amoebic dysentery, um, which apparently can be caught in the Philippines and not only on the Oregon Trail. Um, but it was very, very serious to the fact point that she went into a coma for a little bit. 
Um, as they were getting her out of the coma, as she was recovering from this dysentery, they found out that she was pregnant. She had gotten pregnant before she got ill, uh, and now they find out when she's recovering that, hey, she's pregnant. And these medications she was on uh, caused what they call severe placental abruption. And the doctors there fully expected the child that she had to not make it. They were expecting it to be a stillborn baby and to avoid the pain and everything they suggested an abortion which was illegal in the Philippines, even for medical reasons. But they, they suggested it. They were willing to do it. And she told them, absolutely no way. If the child is stillborn, then, then that's just what was meant to be. She decides she's not going to have the abortion. She's going to see this pregnancy out. So this baby that was supposed to be stillborn was not expected to survive, arrives. Uh, in late 1987, and that baby was one Tim Tebow. Uh, so overcoming the odds from the beginning. Uh, he grew up, uh, he suffers from dyslexia, which has always given him problems, but he went on to become a great student. Um, pretty much, I mean, he ended up being an academic All-American once he did get to Florida, uh, but dyslexia is just something else he had to overcome. But he didn't have to overcome that in a public school setting because all the Tebow children were homeschooled. Uh, now, eventually, they left the Philippines, moved back, uh, moved into Jacksonville, Florida. And when Tim got about the age to play high school football, the law in Florida allowed homeschooled kids to be able to play fo football for uh, a school, if, if they were in that school's district, they could play for that school even though they didn't go to school there. Um, so Tebow, actually, his freshman year, went to Trinity Christian Academy in Jacksonville, played his tight end there his freshman year, wanted to be quarterback. Uh, they basically, the coach there was not going to let him be quarterback, and this was a really good school. It was a private school. They had loads of talent. And they had talent at quarterback. And, but they, Tebow's pure athleticism, they wanted him to be a tight end. Well, he wanted to play quarterback. So before his sophomore year, his family moved to St. John's County, uh, and he started playing. He was still homeschooled, but he started playing football for Allen D. Nice High School, which was like a terrible high school football program. Uh, they had had losing records for several years, uh, I don't know, I can't remember if they'd ever had a winning season, but they hadn't lately. But the coach there had, had talked with Tim and was going to let him come in and play quarterback. And that's what Tebow wanted to do. Uh, so people were telling him he couldn't play quarterback, even at a young age. Uh, but he went on to Nice High School his junior year. He really rose to national prominence with his uh, his passing ability, his running ability. Uh, he was a fantastic dual threat quarterback, and he showed insane competitiveness. Uh, as a matter of fact, in uh, one of his games, his junior year, uh, he got hurt early in the – or he got hurt in the second quarter. Something was wrong with his leg, and he thought that he had maybe pulled a muscle, done something. It was really hurting him, but he played the rest of the game. 
uh, found out afterwards he had broken his fibia and played the entire second half on a broken leg, which included a 29-yard touchdown scamper with a broken leg, uh, just to show the toughness, the competitiveness of Tim Tebow. He won Florida's uh, Player of the Year that year. That was his junior year. He went into his senior year in Allen Denise High School. That was had a lose was a perennial loser till he got there. Won the state title his senior year. Uh, Tebow was named All State. He was named Mr. Football. He repeated as Florida Player of the Year, and he was invited to play in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. As a matter of fact, he was such a good player in high school. In 2007, he was listed uh, on the Florida uh, Florida State Athletic Association, their all-century team, naming the top 33 players to ever play high school football uh, in the state of Florida. And as we all know, there's a lot of – a lot of good football talent that comes out of the state of Florida. Uh, so the fact that he was on that team spoke volumes. Now, as you can imagine, these kind of stats, these kind of stories, there's a pretty highly touted recruit coming out of Florida. And you would think that his parents were Florida grads. They met at Florida. It's a shoe-in. He's going to go to Florida. But it wasn't a shoe-in. It literally came down to – the the 11th hour urban meyer did not know tim tebow was committing to florida until tim tebow said on the stage and put on the florida hat and said he was going to florida he almost went to alabama um crazy to think what that would have been like but uh it was a pretty fierce battle between florida and alabama and uh florida came out with that one it wouldn't be the first one uh, that they came out with in Tebow's years, but uh, they also didn't take all of them, which uh, we'll talk about later. But uh, Tebow commits to the University of Florida, and uh, history is, is set in motion. Before I turn the floor over to you, Bennett, our resident fact checker, me, looked into the two-a-days claim. Nice High School did not go perfect his last year. They lost to Hoover who was coming off three consecutive state championships in Alabama. And I was he was on the very first episode of Two-A-Days. About that. Well, he won the state title. He, he did. He did. They, they, they didn't did lose nobody in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Just Alabama. As he would uh, his last year at the University of Florida as well. We'll get into Not that his later. Junior year. Uh, Bennett? I guess you're going to be taking us way back, way back in time for Mr. Stahlback. So take us in your time machine and take us back in time. As I usually that. do. Take us back in time a little bit. Actually, a way, way, way back, but it's okay. Uh, he's born Roger Thomas Stahlback. He was born in Cincinnati, Ohio on February 5th, 1942. He would be the only child of Robert and Elizabeth Stahlback. Now, growing up, Roger was in the Boy Scouts, and he loved sports. He was a he was a diehard Cincinnati Reds fan. Um, in high school, he he played quite a quite a bit of sports. He played baseball, basketball, and football. 
he did all this while attending an all-boys Catholic school named Purcell High School, which is in Cincinnati. He showed a lot of promise as a baseball player, actually. I would say probably that was his best sport in, in high school. And uh, starting out in football, he was a wide receiver and a defensive back. But his uh, his head football coach had had saw him play baseball. He noticed him, and he noticed uh, he had a really great arm. And he's like, hey, you're going to try out to play quarterback. And at first, Roger didn't really want to be quarterback. He He's like, oh, well, I'm, I don't know, maybe. And the uh, head coach was like, no, no, you – you are you are going to be quarterback. I insist that you be quarterback. So, senior year rolls around, and he is the starting quarterback for this uh, Purcell High School. He leads the team to an eight and two record, and they finished ninth overall in the state. He was voted the Cincinnati Player of the Year. And fun fact too, he played against another Hall of Fame great, Paul Warfield in the North versus South All-Star game. Now, let's see. Okay. Now, after high school, um, Roger, he wanted to uh, – he wanted to go to Notre Dame, you know, coming from the Catholic uh, high school background. And uh, since he'd really only started that one year as quarterback, for his high school team, he didn't really get a whole lot of attention from schools, at least not from big-name schools. And so he was very, very much interested in Notre Dame, but they were definitely not interested in him, which I think was probably a decision that they would later go on to regret. So with Notre Dame out of the picture, he decides that he's going to enroll at Purdue. But as fate would have it, there was a Naval Academy recruiter that had become really interested into uh, having Stallback come and play for the midshipmen. He had seen him play throughout the season. And they really liked him, so they wanted him to come and play for Navy. And at first, he didn't really seem too interested in the Naval Academy. But, you know, as recruiters do, they were super persistent. So Roger was like, okay, sure, you know, I'll give it a whirl. And so he made the trip to Annapolis. So when he arrives there, he he gets to look around and he really likes what he's seeing from the school, particularly the academy's like really strong moral environment that they have. So he decides he's not going to go to Purdue and that he is going to enroll at the Naval Academy, which is what he does in 1961. So he's on the freshman team, and I guess they have, like, just a, a, a team dedicated just to the freshmen, at least back at this time at the Naval Academy. So he's playing quarterback for the freshman squad, and he leads them to a 9-1 and one record, which would go on to be a sign of great things to come for Roger and Navy. So what you're telling me is 24-7 sports and rivals didn't really have a recruiting profile for Mr. Stallback back then. I don't think so. I think he, he came on the scene there way too late as a quarterback and kind of flew <laughs> under the radar there. He did. He did. Well, if you're going to be quarterback at high-profile institutions and college, you got you live for the big game. So, Bennett, tell me about the biggest games that Roger Stallback played during his time at Navy. 
Yeah, his his biggest games would come during the 1962 season and definitely the 1963 season. In 1962, he he began the season as the low man on the total pole. He was the fourth string quarterback. But there was a couple of injuries to a couple other guys, and as what fate would have it, Roger found himself with a huge chance to kind of show what he had as he got to come in and play in the fourth game of the season against Cornell. So what he does is he takes this opportunity and shows them what he can do. He orchestrates six touchdown drives and a 41 to nothing blowout. He had 99 yards passing, 88 yards rushing, two passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdowns. Pretty, a pretty well balanced. I know those stats don't leap out at you, but you got to think too, this is back in the early 60s. Definitely not as high gear of a offense as we have now. I mean, back then, you could have a DB that could, like, completely wipe out a receiver and no flag, you know, <laughs> nail the quarterback. It's okay. You good? How many fingers am I holding up? I like those rules. That's close enough. Yeah, good enough. You're good. <laughs> now, the biggest game that he had in 1962 would come six weeks later, the final week of the season, the very famous Army versus Navy matchup. Now, this was particularly a big game as President John F. Kennedy was in attendance for this game, along with about another 100,000 people that had showed up to watch this game. And Stahlbeck definitely did not disappoint. He put on a show for the crowd. He put on a show for the president. He had two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. And supposedly from – the information that I've got, I didn't see it in person, so I don't know. But supposedly one of those rushing touchdowns was a 21-yard run where he evaded all 11 defenders and scored a touchdown. Now, by the time the game was over, uh, John F. Kennedy could have quite possibly had been the biggest Roger Stallback fan. Um, it's well documented that he famously said to one of his aides, he said, there ought to be 20 of them just like him out there. So they go on, they beat Army, huge upset for Navy. And in 1963, he takes it up a notch and he becomes the best player in the country. He led Navy to victories over West Virginia victory over Michigan, and an upset over the number three-ranked Pittsburgh. Um, in 1963, he was able to also get revenge on another one of their rivals that we'll talk about some later, Notre Dame. He did this on November 2nd. Um, it was a tight game um, in the first half. It was 7-7, seven to seven, back and forth, and uh, Roger and his men come out in the second half and they took care of business, and they routed Notre Dame 35-14. to 14. So he was able to get his revenge on Notre Dame there for uh, pretty much just ignoring him when he wanted to come to their school. And this win also kept his Heisman campaign alive, even though Roger, he's not really the top to worry about, you know, personal accolades like that. But his coach and his uh, teammates certainly were. Um, the story goes that during the halftime, the coach comes out in the locker room and is telling the guys, he's like, look, you know, it's tied 7-7. We have a chance to win this game and win it for Roger. 
and keep his uh, Heisman hopeful chance alive, which I'm sure probably embarrassed him. Another big thing about this with them beating Notre Dame, this would be the last time that they beat Notre, Notre Dame until 2007, which was some 44 years later. Um, three weeks later, after the, uh, the Notre Dame game, uh, President John F. Kennedy, as we know, was tragically assassinated. And there was a lot of speculation that um, the Army and Navy game would be canceled. But um, his wife, uh, Jackie, said that uh, President Kennedy would have wanted the game to go on. So they decided to play the game anyways. And um, so you've got, you know, the nation mourning the death of the president and Navy and Army, they sued up and uh, go out there and play this game, which really meant a lot for the country right now to have your uh, your armed forces men go out there and, and play a game, you know, with everything going on. Uh, Navy would go on to win 21 to 15. And I think this is a really important game for America because it was a way for Americans to kind of escape reality for, you know, a little while and kind of help with the healing process. Yeah. They, uh, <clears throat> they finished the regular season nine and one that year. And when it was all said and done, they were ranked number two in the country having outscored their opponents 105 to 20. They earned a bid to the Cotton Bowl to uh, play in the NCAA championship against number one ranked Texas. And in that game, uh, Stahlback set records for completions with 21. 21 completions was a record in the Cotton Bowl in 1963. And he set a record for passing yards in the Cotton Bowl with 228. Uh, Navy, they, they fell short in the big game but uh, the 1963 season was one of unprecedented success for Navy and the likes of which that haven't been replicated since for, uh, for the team. And the main reason for that success is because of Stallback and his talent and his leadership to the team. All right. Well, right, take us closer to modern day. And tell me about the biggest gains for one Tim Tebow. I was at his come out, coming out party in 2006, I must say. Where he well, I'm going to get to that game in a minute in another category. There's a couple games that would probably be categorized as his biggest games, but I'm going to hit on those in another category uh, of tonight. But looking at some other big games, I know you're talking about that Tennessee game, and that was kind of, hey, this guy might have something. But another game a couple weeks after that, his freshman year, is really what showed the world and was really his coming out party. And that was when – that was against LSU. It was two top five teams in that, play, in that game. Of course, Tebow, his freshman year, was coming in uh, sporadically. Chris Leak was the man there. Uh, but Tebow would come in on special packages – uh, that game against LSU, he, yes, he, ran, he had nine rushes for 35 yards and a touchdown, but he also threw the ball that game. He had two passes. He was two for two for 36 yards and two touchdowns in that game. He had two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, including his first passing touchdown of his career, which – 
is a little bit famous where he took the snap, ran to the line, jumped in the air, and threw what is infamously known now as the jump pass to take Casey from the one-yard line. That was his first touchdown pass as a Gator. Uh, he also hit Bubba Caldwell for a 35-yard touchdown in that game. So that was really what put him on the map on a national level. Uh, fast forward to the end of his freshman year. They're in the BCS championship game. Uh, of course, this was Chris Leak finally getting his title in his senior year on his way out. But Tebow contributed to that game as well. He only had one passing attempt, but that was a one-yard touchdown pass to Bubba Caldwell. But he also had 10 rushes, 10 rushes for 39 yards and a rushing touchdown. Uh, so even as the backup quarterback, still attributed for two touchdowns in that national championship victory over the Ohio State Buckeyes. Troy who? Uh, moving into his sophomore year, when he was the full-time guy, one game that really sticks out, this was his Heisman Trophy winning year, uh, was a game against the old ball coach. When Spurrier was at South Carolina, on the other sideline, Tebow had – one of the biggest games of his career and a game that really kind of locked him into that Heisman Trophy. He went 22 of 32 passing for 302 yards and two touchdowns. That's a pretty good day. But then you look at the fact that he also had 120 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns for seven total touchdowns against the Gamecocks. Really solidified him as the best player in the country that year. Uh, and, of course, he would go on to be rewarded for that and became the first sophomore to ever win the Heisman Trophy. His junior year, arguably, and in my opinion, his best year at Florida, um, the national championship – or the SEC championship that year against Alabama. He had 216 yards, three passing touchdowns. He also had 57 rushing yards a game that a lot of people were picking Alabama coming into that game. It was an undefeated Alabama. It was Nick Saban's first big year. Um, an undefeated Alabama against an 11-1 Florida team, and Florida handled them uh, pretty well in that game to advance to Tebow's second BCS title game, uh, this time as the quarterback, the only quarterback. And um, after that SEC championship game against Alabama – was a Heisman Trophy ceremony, which Tebow did not win, which I will get to later on. But Sam Bradford, baby. Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford was named the Heisman Trophy winner. Sam Bradford played for the Oklahoma Sooners. Sam Bradford and his Oklahoma Sooners met the Gators in the national championship game. And I'll tell you, Sam Bradford didn't look like the better quarterback that night. He was decent. He had two touchdowns, but he had two inter interceptions. Tebow also two touchdowns, two interceptions in the air, but he threw for 231 yards. He ran for 109 yards in that game. And when we look at that, he had 22 rushes. Seven of those rushes went for first downs. Three of them came on third down. He ran all over the Sooners defense. Uh, and Florida went on to win their second national championship in his tenure there. Then his very – the last big game I'm going to talk about in this section is his very last game as a collegiate quarterback for Florida. 
another disappointment. There was a disappointment in the Heisman his junior year. There was a disappointment in the SEC championship his senior year, which I'll get to in a minute. So his last game of his career is a pissed-off Tim Tebow against a probably wish they weren't there Cincinnati Bearcats in the Sugar Bowl that year, where Tebow in his last game had his career high in passing yardage. He went 31 of 35 for 482 yards and three touchdowns through the air. He also had 51 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown uh, in his very last game uh, as a Gator, went out as only Tim Tebow can, the best. You know, aside from those four heartbreaks that I suffered by the hands of Mr. Tebow, the one game I remember most came from his sophomore year in Death Valley. It was a loss, but it seemed like the entire offense, it was basically Tim Tebow versus LSU in that game. And LSU had to convert four fourth downs in that game to beat him. But it was like he was going against the entire LSU team. And the other game I remember is uh, the cocktail party. Can we call it the cocktail party anymore? Where Georgia runs their entire team out on the field. I know what happens the next year. I know what happens the next year. No, it was his sophomore year. A, yes, we can call it the cocktail party because it will always be the cocktail party. (laughs) B, we will discuss that more in just a minute. Okay. You know, you know what game I remember? What's that? The the game when Tebow ran over Eric Berry. Oh no, that that was that was a, an immovable object in an irresistible force. Who they fell backwards. Did you oh. not see the the, the instant replay? Who fell backwards? <laughs> yeah. No, they both went backwards. No, it was it was like a two trains collide. Is what that was like. Need That's one fell backwards. Look at the tape. Look at the tape. Hey. When right. I sent out the email to send out the format for this week's show, I believe there's a still photograph in that email that might have accidentally found its way there. But yeah. I believe it's that exact hit Bennett is talking about. And I believe Mr. Barry is doing this. Back. That's at one angle. That picture only tells part of the story. Well, backwards is the same at any angle. You kind of look at the video. The video is what matters. Pull it up. This is why we need a producer. Pull it up. This is why we need a producer. So we're putting a classified ad out now. Look, I'm going to use that this year for Florida State when they get destroyed (laughs) all season long. Well, that's just one angle. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one angle. All right, right. Let's try to get this thing back on the tracks. Tell me about Tebow versus the primary rivals for the University of Florida. Those Florida State versus Miami wide rights were all just one angle. That's just <laughs> one angle, okay? <laughs> you guys. All right. Well, when you talk about playing your rivals, you talk about getting ready for that big game. That was Tim Tebow. His three – Florida's three biggest rivalries, University of Tennessee, Mr. Elrod's favorite team, Florida State University, Mr. Bennett's favorite team, and those dastardly Georgia Bulldogs. In four years against those three teams, Tim Tebow went 11-1 and against those three teams. Tennessee, 4-0. But 
to Tennessee's credit, I'm going to give Tennessee some credit here. Hey, what? Do we need to record this? Honestly, when you look at the three rivals, Tennessee, he still did pretty daggum well. 4-0, he performed well in those games. It's not like he didn't show up, but Tennessee gave him the hardest times of any of those three teams. The only interception he threw against a rival was against Tennessee. Georgia never picked him off in four years. Florida State never picked him off in four years. Tennessee only did once in four years, but they did it once. Um, He had 189 yards and three rushing touchdowns against Tennessee in his career. Granted, some of those came at very – I think the game you're talking about, 2006, his freshman year. Tennessee's winning. It's 26 to – or 20 to 14 late in the fourth quarter. Florida's driving – Third and eight, Chris Leak escapes the pocket, has a beautiful run, slides down after seven yards. It's fourth and one, late in the fourth quarter. You put in the freshman quarterback and let him run over somebody. And that's exactly what he did. He converted that fourth down. And two plays later, Chris Leak, two, Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker, Florida went on to win that game 21-20. to And I do just want to point out one thing to Mr. Elrod that I've pointed out before. There's a lot of guys that come in as highly touted freshman quarterbacks that will play every down. And Tebow, in most schools, would have started his freshman year. But the senior on that team was Chris Leak. <coughs> and I'm going to say something <coughs> – I don't have Rona. I just got a call. (laughs) I'm going to say something that might be controversial to some people, but I stand by it, and I am a little biased. Chris Leak is the most underrated college quarterback of all time. All right, whose jersey you got on there? Oh, gosh. I know where you're going with this. Are you going to try to make the argument Chris Leak is better than Whose jersey do you have on? Sir Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning? Rightly so, is regarded as one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. Am I right? Yes. He was the number one overall draft pick when he came out of Tennessee. He's a very highly touted quarterback. And I'm only saying this here and one time only. It was deservedly so. There. (laughs) Um, So, now that that is said, pass completions. Chris Leak or Peyton Manning? Chris Leak. Passing yards. Chris Leak. Or Peyton Manning, Chris Leak. Passing touchdowns, Peyton Manning by one. Chris Leak did it for two years under Ron freaking Zook, his freshman and sophomore years, and he was splitting snaps with Engel Martin his freshman year. Chris Leak was a fantastic quarterback. So Tebow still got quite a bit of playing time, even playing behind Chris Leak his freshman year. Anyway, just had to get that off my chest. Let's move on. Hold on. Times Peyton Manning was pulled in favor of a freshman quarterback, zero. Chris Leak, one. And if Tennessee (laughs) had Tim Tebow behind Peyton Manning, it might have been a different story. They weren't going to put in Todd Helton. Anyway, (laughs) moving on to Florida State. Bennett – 
I'm sorry, but Florida State was not at its best during Tebow's years in game. Those were some those were some down years for us. Some down years. That was the, that was towards the end of Bowden era. Yeah, but we had we had we'd seen better days. But Tebow against Florida State, four and zero. Um, 262 rushing yards over those years for five touchdowns. He did not play – he did not attempt to pass against Florida State his freshman year, but those last three years uh, he had 668 yards over those three games, nine touchdown passes to no interceptions. Um, he did – pre- and every time I think of Tebow versus Florida State, I think of that image where it was raining in Tallahassee and he had been tackled into the paint at uh, it, was, it may have been the end zone or it was at midfield. Probably the end zone, judging by how he played against Florida State. But he, <laughs> but he came up, Florida's wearing the white jerseys, and his whole right side is red um, from the paint that had come off the wet grass onto him. But it's just – it's an iconic image. Then we move to the Georgia Bulldogs. He lost a game to the Georgia Bulldogs in his sophomore year. Um, the 2008 game, or the 2007 game, he lost to the Georgia Bulldogs. And that game is infamous for, as Elrod said, Georgia scores. The entire team, Georgia's team, leaves the sidelines and is dancing in the end zone. And I don't even remember who it was, the big fat defensive lineman doing his little dance. Um, and Mark Prick, I mean, Mark Rick standing on the sidelines, giving, he let it happen. You know who did not forget that moment? Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer. Fast forward to the next year, Tebow runs for three touchdowns, passes for two touchdowns. Florida is up 35-3 to late in the fourth quarter. Tim Tebow is still in the game and still throwing the ball, including a 25-yard pass to Percy Harvin. Florida went on to win that game 49-10 to uh, as a big uh, revenge uh, to Georgia. So, but he, against his rivals, Tennessee, Florida State, Georgia, 11-1, and uh, – he made up big for that one the next year. All right, Bennett, tell me about Roger Staubach versus uh, his rivals. Uh, I assume you're going to talk a lot about Army. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd say um, Navy, at least back in the early 60s, their biggest rivals were Maryland, Notre Dame, and, of course, Army. Uh, for Maryland, these – these two teams, they don't really face off every year. It's kind of more of a sporadic thing. But they are uh, in-state rivals, so whenever they do meet up, it's what they call the Crab Bowl Classic. <laughs> now, Notre Dame, back in the day, um, the contests were a lot closer. I guess that's why um, they were such big rivals. But as of – as of late, you know, of course, Notre Dame has dominated that rivalry. They went on that 43 consecutive victories from 64 to 2007. Um, and, of course, you've got Army. These two always play the last week of the season. 
It's known as uh, one of college football's greatest traditions, one of the greatest rivalries, mainly because these two these two teams are playing solely for the love of the game. Um, they're not playing for stats or accolades or really not even playing to uh, increase their draft stock. Uh, vast majority of these athletes um, finish out their college career at this game before they go and serve their country. Um, it, it's really something really special to watch on TV in December when you watch uh, Navy and Army play against each other. Uh, starting in 1962, since it didn't really play any in 61, um, Navy fell to a better Notre Dame squad that year, 20 to 12. Um, but they did have the huge upset win over Army, 34 to 14. That's the one where uh, JFK was in attendance. They didn't play Maryland that year. 1963 is when Stallback and Company saw um, a lot more success. They they won big over all three of their rivals. They steamrolled Maryland, 42 to seven. They they upset Notre Dame with that second half surgeons that I talked about. They rolled 35 to 14, which I talked about before would be the last time that they they beat them in like 40 43 44 years something like that. They also defeated Army 21 to 15. Um, as I talked about before, when nation was still in shock and mourning over the assassination of uh, President Kennedy. Um, 1964, just to be honest, was not a very good year for the Navy and uh, was not a very good year for Roger Stallback either. He, he battled injuries throughout the entire season and uh, they went 0-3 against their rivals that year. We lost to Maryland 27-22. They got killed 40 to nothing against the number two ranked Notre Dame. And they were just barely edged 11 to eight to Army, which finished out a very abysmal injury plague season for Stallback. Um, he, uh, he got injured in the first game and then he would miss the next four games. So that's half the season already that he lost. And then when he came back, it seemed like he would just have bad luck with a like an injury here or a nagging injury there. But when he was healthy enough to play, he still finished out the season with a very respectful 101.6 quarterback rating. So 62, one win, one loss, 63 – Went 3-0, and they swept. And then 64, it's probably one that he'd like to forget. He went 0-3. So that was his time against his rivals. All right. We've talked about the biggest games. We've talk, we talked a lot about uh, records and gets the rivals for both of these men. But tell me, Bennett, tell me about the accomplishments that Roger had in, at his time in Annapolis. Yeah, um, he, he actually enjoyed several accomplishments um, during his time at the Naval Academy, starting in 62, um, following their upset over Army. Um, Stallback had the honor to, to meet President Kennedy. Um, after the game, I guess, he um, President Kennedy was wanting to meet him there on the field, 
And uh, Stallback uh, was uh, on record saying that he he was a nervous wreck um, having to meet the president. He said he doesn't remember anything that uh, President Kennedy had said or did to him while they're on the field. I, I guess I probably would too, but you uh, you get to meet the the president of the United States there on the field, and I'm sure I wouldn't know what to think or what to say or anything like that either. Um, 63 in particular was a really huge year for Roger. Um, we talked about before, he led Navy to a 9-1 regular season record with that crazy number two national rate ranking for Navy. And uh, at the end of the season, here are a few of his um, accomplishments, awards, accolades, whatever you want to call it. He was a, uh, he was a consensus All-American, which coincidentally enough, in 1963, Forrest Gump was also <laughs> named an All-American. That is the year that Forrest Gump was named an All-American where he drank 15 Dr. Peppers <laughs> and told President Kennedy that he had to go pee. <laughs> also, um, Stallback won the Maxwell Award and he won the Heisman Award by a landslide. It was one of the largest uh, margins ever for the uh, Heisman Trophy Award. He was also, at the time, just the fourth non-senior at the time to win the Heisman. He was a junior. He also won the Chick Harley Award, which is presented to uh, college football's Player of the Year. And he was named Sporting News' Player of the Year. He finished out the year with uh, 128 pass completions, which doesn't sound like a lot by today's standards because we're so ingrained to uh, these prolific offenses, but that was number four in the country at the time. He had a 66.7 pass completion percentage, which was number one in the country. 1,702 passing yards, number four in the country. And a 145.9 passer rating which was good also for number four in the NCAA. He had nine rushing touchdowns, which ranked him number nine among all players. Uh, that includes uh, running backs, too. So he was ninth in rushing touchdowns. And uh, he had 2,073 total yards, which was good for third best in the entire country. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And uh, he was set to be on the cover of Life magazine. But at the time when they were going to uh, publish the issue, of course, that's when uh, President Kennedy was assassinated. So they, uh, they nixed uh, Stallback on the cover. And, of course, you know, they put um, the assassination on the, uh, on the cover instead, which rightfully so, of course. He set 28 Naval Academy football records. He was the recipient of the Thompson Trophy Cup for three straight years, making him the only individual to uh, receive this trophy three times for, uh, for Navy. He was the 1965 winner of the Naval Academy Athletic Association SWORD. So he became just the fourth person to win um, both of these Naval Awards, the Thompson Trophy Cup, and the uh, Naval Academy, Acad Academy Athletic Association sword. Um, that's just the fourth person to win both of those since uh, the year 1900. 
he had his number 12 jersey retired by the Naval Academy, and he was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame in 1981. Um, the football locker room in Rickett Hall was named in his honor in 1996, and he was honored as a distinguished graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. He's named uh, to the Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium All-Stadium Team and also named to the Walter Camp All-Century Team. And lastly, in 2008, he was awarded the National Football Foundation Gold Medal, which is the highest honor that one can receive from this organization. So not bad, not bad. Not bad at all. all right, tell me about Tim Tebow's accomplishments at Gainesville, Florida. Well, his freshman year, he was named to the SEC All-Freshman Team. And that was just the beginning. <laughs> I'm just kind of going to go through these kind of quickly. This is not the extent because we don't have the time. This is the highlights. But Tim Tebow, two-time national champion, first sophomore to win the Heisman Trophy, two-time Maxwell Award winner, only the second player ever to do that, the first being Archie Griffin, and thus being the first quarterback to ever do that. Uh, he was a two-time SEC champion, two-time SEC player of the year. He won the Davey O'Brien Award for best quarterback in 2007. Uh, he was the AP player of the year in 2007. He was a sporting news player of the year in 2007. Um, he was three times a Heisman Trophy finalist, meaning he made three trips uh, to Radio City Music Hall uh, for the celebration. He was a two-time first-team All-American his sophomore and his uh, junior years. and his senior year, he slacked off and was only a second-team All-American. Um, three times, uh, first-team All-SEC, uh, his sophomore through his senior year. And like I said, he was freshman uh, on the All-Freshman team his freshman year. And in 2010, Sports Illustrated named him College Player of the Decade. At the end of Tebow's college career, he held five NCAA records, 14 SEC records, and 28 University of Florida records, which, okay, yeah, he's the best the school ever had, but the school had already had – two Heisman-winning uh, quarterbacks before him uh, in Steve Spurrier and Danny Warfel. When he graduated from an NCAA, the entire NCAA perspective, he finished second in career passing efficiency, third in pass yards per attempt over his career, eighth in career rushing touchdowns, not by quarterback, just eighth in career rushing touchdowns, period. Um, he also owns a record for the most consecutive games in which he threw for and ran for a touchdown pass. And he did that for 14 straight games. Um, and that was broken up by Tennessee. Congratulations. Get up, volunteers. Granted, he still ran for a touchdown in that game, but he didn't throw for one. So Was that the Lane Kiffin game? I don't remember. I think so. 
I think it might have been because I think that streak. I'm pretty sure that streak started in the national championship game his freshman year and went all through his sophomore year. The entire world thought that you know, Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow were going to knock the wheels off Lane Kiffin, and they won. But it was like bittersweet. It's like mm, no one died in this game. What killed me about that was Kiffin talked all that smack, and he didn't try to win that game. They tried not well, to win that game. Beat the spread. Beat the spread. But anyway, that was at the NCAA level. At the SEC level, of course, I think me and Elrod would argue is the greatest conference in college football historically. Uh, Bennett might have an argument otherwise. But either way you look at it, he finished his career as the all-time leader in career passing efficiency in the SEC. He finished as the all-time leader in completion percentage in the SEC at 67.1. So over two-thirds of his passes were completed. Um, He finished his career with the highest touchdown-to-interception ratio in SEC history with five-and-a-half touchdowns to every interception. Uh, He finished with the most rushing yards by a quarterback with 2,947 yards. And he also finished as the SEC leader in rushing touchdowns, period, breaking Herschel Walker's record against Georgia when he tied Mm. and broke that record in Mm. that game after the loss the year before. So, uh, suck it, Mark Rick. And uh, he also finished as the all-time SEC leader in total touchdowns responsible for. So, uh, much like Roger Staubach, not a bad career. Question. If Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship game in 2009, does Tim Tebow win the Heisman over Mark Ingram? No. Not his senior year. Mark Ingram had a better year. Tebow knew he didn't we'll, – we'll, we'll, I'll get into that in just a minute. <laughs> All right. You kind of alluded to that. T- take me – We've talked about the highs, but in a given player's career, they're going to have some lows. Take me – and I'm excited for this. T- tell me about the low points for Tim Tebow. I'm loving this. I'm sure you are. Well, as I've said, I think Tim Tebow's best year was his junior year. The team was definitely the best it ever was. 2018 – it's probably the best team Florida's ever had. That 2000- and a racist, but that 2006 team probably is near and dear to my heart. But that 2018 was probably more talented, and I do think that was Tebow's best year. But granted, when I think of the weaknesses and the low points of Tim Tebow's game, I think of three things, and two of those came in that junior year. Um, but of course. He turned all these negatives into positives. But the first negative is the 2008 game against Ole Miss. They go to Oxford. They're heavily favored. Tebow himself has a really good game. He's 24 for 38, throws for 319 yards and a touchdown. But he's always been able to run the ball and run over people. And Ole Miss was all over him that game. His offensive line failed him. 
He did run for two touchdowns in that game, but he finished that game with only seven rushing yards. More specifically, they're down 31 to 30 late in the game. They're down by a point. They're in Ole Miss territory. Fourth and one, you've got the best guy in maybe the history of college football for that spot. And Tebow got stuffed. Didn't convert the fourth down. Florida goes to Oxford, which they're going to do this weekend as well. But they go to Oxford in 2008 and lose. That was a home game for you all. I'm pretty sure it was in Oxford. It might have been a home game, but I'm pretty. I think sure. it's what made it sweeter. It was a it was a home game for you all. Seeing Houston Nut and Ole Miss Dexter McCluster coming in, Jevin Sneed coming into Gainesville and giving you a big fat L. Maybe it was. <laughs> yeah, where's the fact check? We need a fact checker and a producer. Does anybody work for free? Because we don't have any money to pay you right now. No, we but don't pay him. In that low point, Tebow gave one of, if not the most memorable post game press conferences of all time. And it was one of those that you see it when he makes it and you think, dang, that guy, he's a good speech giver. He's motivated, but to see what they did the rest of the year after that speech is what makes it so iconic. So iconic, in fact, one of my best friends in the entire world, Mr. Brian Bennett, a few years ago for Christmas, gave me a framed photo that he had made with the words of this press conference on it. And I was going to pull it out and show it on the show, but it's in a box in the closet because we're having a baby and I had to move a lot of my stuff out of the way. But here's what Tebow said in that press conference that has now gone on to become the promise. This is after this disappointing loss to Ole Miss. Tim Tebow sat down at the table and said this. I just want to say one thing to the fans and everybody in Gator Nation. I'm sorry, extremely sorry. I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. You will never see any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season, and you will never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season, and you will never see a team play harder than we will play the rest of the season. God bless. They went on to run the gauntlet the rest of the year and went to the national championship game and won the national championship game. A national championship game where they played the Oklahoma Sooners that again goes into the second low point, the second disappointment, the second weakness of Tim Tebow's career, and that is the 2008 Heisman Trophy that he should have won. He finished with more first-place votes than any of the other competitors in that Heisman Trophy vote. But he still finished third in Heisman Trophy voting, which is ridiculous. The most first place votes, but he finished third because a lot of people were either voting Tebow first or third and then voting Sam Bradford, Colt McCoy, who both had good years. But when you look at the numbers, yes, Bradford and McCoy had more passing yards. 
quite a bit more passing yards. They also both had nearly double the pass attempts that Tim Tebow had. And when you look at rushing yards, Tim Tebow had 673 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns. Colt McCoy had 500-some-odd rushing yards. Sam Bradford had 47. (laughs) Okay, Sam Bradford's not a running quarterback. I get that. But look at the defenses. What was the running joke of Big 12 defenses in the early 2000s? What defense? They didn't exist. (laughs) Colt McCoy and Sam Bradford basically got to go out and play catch with their receivers on most Saturdays. They played each other. Oklahoma and Texas had defensive talent. Texas Tech had a good offense that year. They didn't really have a defense. He didn't play any defenses. Look at what Tebow had to go through in 2008. The SEC, which is no – the Eric Berries of the world were in the SEC in 2008. Georgia, LSU, all stacked defenses in 2008. He played Alabama, an undefeated Alabama team in the SEC championship that year. Tim Tebow, when you look at the stats, well, Bradford McCoy had more passing yards – and more touchdowns, so I guess they should win. But if you look at the eyeball test on who the best quarterback, who the best player in the country that year was, it was without a doubt Tim Tebow. But, okay, he lost. He should have won. He was pissed about it. And lo and behold, he gets to play Sam Bradford and those Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, a few weeks later in the BCS championship, and uh, he came out all right. He made up for that. The one he didn't get to completely get to make up for, the lowest, probably his lowest point in his career at Florida, his senior year. Mm. Florida has never in their history. They've got three national championships, three Heisman Trophy winners. They have never in their history – had an undefeated season. Florida rolls into Atlanta in 2009 at 12-0. They're undefeated, going up against Alabama for a chance to go to another national championship, a chance at that undefeated season. Um, Tebow did not have a bad game that game against Alabama. Uh, He had 247 rushing yards. He had a touchdown in that game. He ran for 63 yards against an extremely tough Alabama defense, but uh, Mark Ingram, Florida's defense could not stop him. Uh, and they lost that game in a game that really wasn't that even, even that close once you got into the second half. Alabama trounced them pretty good. It was 32 to 13 was the final score. Um, a lot of people have get, made fun of Tebow throughout the years because he cried after that game. I cried after that game. Juicy tears. I didn't even play in that game, and I cried after that game. Uh, There was a lot of hard work that went into that. The team hadn't lost since he made that speech the year before, the September of the year before against Ole Miss. The team hadn't lost since then going into that game. Um, And they lose the shot at that, lose the shot at the national championship. And like I said, 
he only had one more game in his career after that. And poor, poor Cincinnati found, somehow found themselves into a BCS Bowl and probably regretted that. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have nightmares about Tim Tebow for years to come. You know, I was kind of happy that you all lost Alabama that game, but that game was the start of the Alabama dynasty. If we can go back in time, I wouldn't mind seeing you all win and getting trounced by whoever – or Texas. You could play Texas in the, the Rose Bowl. Oh, McCoy. That, that's how 2009 should have went. <laughs> how sweet would it have been – for Tebow to beat Bradford in 08, McCoy in 09, and tell the Heisman voters to stick it. Because here's the thing. He didn't win the Heisman his senior year. He shouldn't have. His numbers weren't as good. He was not – his sophomore and junior year were better than his senior years. Mark Ingram deserved it. Tebow said the week before the Heisman Trophy celebration, Mark Ingram deserves it, but I'm going to go have fun in New York City. And he talks about going to New York for that – and with no pressure for the first time. His sophomore year, he knew he should have won it, and he was nervous. His junior year, he knew he should have won it, and he was nervous. His senior year, he knew he wasn't going to win. He just went and had fun and hung out with Mark Ingram all weekend. <laughs> all right, Bennett. Tell me about the the low points for Roger Staubach during his time at Navy. Yeah, but before I get into that, I'm going to have to agree with Rutt when he said that uh, – uh, Tebow's uh, The Promise speech is one of the most iconic moments in college football sports. I saw you shaking your head. I'm going to have to agree with it. If you actually watch that whole entire interview, I think it's like, I don't know, however long it is. Throughout the first of you could tell he's like almost um, kind of kind of in a state of shock. He's kind of having a hard time um, coming up with the words that he wants to say. And just the whole time he's talking about how, you know, he thought, you know, that they would come back and they, you know, they played a pretty good game and that they knew they were going to go down and score there at the end and he didn't really know what happened. And then he just blurts out that uh, iconic uh, promise there at the very end. I'll say this, but before you get into this, it helps to have the talent that Tim Tebow had in 2008. If you look at that decade, probably second to 2001 Miami in terms of total talent that you, that Florida had that year and immense amount of talent. So the promise helped, but so did the talent around him helped as well. You know, what's crazy. The seniors on that team were recruited by Ron Zook. Hmm. Fire Zook. <laughs> you know, I hated that man. And then we got Muschamp. <laughs> And then we got uh, old Butter Teeth after him. And after that, I missed Ron Zook for a, few, a little bit. Oh, didn't, didn't Ron Zook like a quarterback's coach at Green Bay, or is he done gone now? He might, he, he's, he's probably still he's probably still in playbook somewhere, I'm sure, out there. A fact checker again. I'll say this. Ron <laughs> Zook was a great recruiter. X's and O's, he was awful, but he was a great recruiter. <laughs> All right. Back to back to Stallback. Um, his weaknesses, there there were a few of them. Um one that was surprising to me was that his uh career at Navy was almost over before it even before it even started, as he was almost expelled from the academy. His freshman year, 
he became really, really homesick. And he was having a really hard time adjusting to the Naval Academy lifestyle. And the first four months that he was on campus, he received 150 demerits, which put him at the halfway mark towards being kicked out. Um, so he goes on Christmas break and does a lot of soul searching. And uh, he comes back after Christmas break with uh, a new attitude and a new outlook. And he was able to drastically cut back on those demerits. I think he only had like 20 after Christmas his freshman year. And obviously he wasn't kicked out. So that was a way for him to kind of like, like Mr. Tim Tebow, kind of turn a negative into a positive. Uh, another kind of low point and uh, Stallback's uh, collegiate career was their loss to Texas in the Cotton Bowl in that 1963 championship game. Um, whether we like to admit or not, we, we tend to measure players on, um, on championships. And even if they have an illustrious career, if they don't get that national championship, it's almost like it kind of devalues their career. It doesn't really boost their legacy so much as it would. So I think that if they would have found a way to pull out another upset like they had done all year long, that could have really put Stallback um, more in the conversation than he is now as one of the better uh, collegiate quarterbacks of all time. Um, still in 1963, that 9-1 uh, that record, of course, that, that one sticks out like a sore thumb. That was a loss to SMU in the fourth game of the season. Um, they'd almost pulled out the victory but lost 32-28. to um, like this was their only blemish. Um, Stallback actually injured his shoulder in the game. I think he separated his shoulder in that game. And uh, it's well documented that SMU was out to actually knock him out of the game, which they didn't necessarily knock him out of the game, but maybe um, that injury kind of hampered his playing a little bit. And uh, it really kept them from having a perfect season there. And uh, lastly, the, the 1964 season as a whole, um, like I mentioned earlier, he was injured for the pretty much the first half of it. Um, while he was out, Navy went one and three, and they finished the season three and six and one. And Stallback pretty much battled injuries throughout the entire season. So 64 was kind of a – kind of a bust year for him and and really Navy um, in general there. So that was kind of some of the lower points of his career at Navy. All right. Well, let's go a little bit outside the college game. Both these men uh, both uh, graduated from their respective institutions. Tell me, Ben, about – or briefly, tell me about Roger Stallbatt's career post-college. He, he did graduate. He sure did. In 1965, he graduated with an engineering degree, and um, he married his high school sweetheart. Um, they met in fourth grade, and they, they, were, uh, they dated all through high school. 
And so he marries her, and then he goes and begins his naval service. He uh, he spent four years um, in service, and that includes a uh, a one year tour in Vietnam as a supply officer. Um, one thing that kind of speaks about his character is, you know, he's a house and winning quarterback, and he could have easily requested a uh, an assignment in the United States. But he himself chose to volunteer one year of his life overseas in Vietnam. And so 1967 rolls around. He finishes his, uh, his tour in Vietnam. And so he finishes out the rest of his career um, in the Navy in the United States. So uh, 1969 rolls around. And um, he decides he's finished with uh, the service. And he wants to um, go and play professional football. He entered the NFL as a 27-year-old rookie, kind of like a Chris Winkie. You know? um, he was a rookie for the Dallas Cowboys, who had actually drafted him in the 10th round back in 1964. And you think, whoa, you know, he was a Heisman winning quarterback. Why did he go all the way in the 10th round? Well, a lot of teams knew that he had a four-year, at least a four-year commitment um, to the to Navy, to the armed services. So, a lot of teams skipped on him because they didn't want to deal with, you know, you know, having to wait so long, blah, 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 whatever. So, he lasted all the way to the 10th round. Dallas picks him up. Um, he spends a couple of years backing up uh, – Craig Morton, I believe. Um, he would kind of come in briefly and kind of do either mop-up duty or this and that. But it wasn't until 1971 that he became the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And this kind of shows that he, you know, how he really reached um, his full potential once he was, no offense to Navy, but once he was on a team that had some really great offensive weapons, some of the players he had to work with was Lance Allworth, Mike Didka, uh, Walt Garrison, who's a really underrated uh, running back, and Bob Hayes. He went on to lead the Cowboys to 10 consecutive wins, including the 24-3 Super Bowl victory over Miami. And uh, Stahlbeck would be named the Super Bowl MVP of that game. Uh, we're going to flash forward a little bit because I don't have time to talk about his whole career. Um, 1977, he leads Dallas to another Super Bowl victory, this time over the Broncos. And um, his final season would come in 1979. And even in 1979, he was still playing at a very high level. Um, he had career highs in completions with 267. Um, he had a career high in passing yards with 3,586. And a career high in touchdowns with 27. And uh, 1978, he was named the NFL Man of the Year. Um, he retired from the NFL after only 11 seasons. And he said the reason that he did this was to protect his uh, long-term health. He said that during those 11 seasons, really you think probably more like nine, that he actually was the starter. He had at least 20 concussions while playing in the NFL. And um, it was documented that there was one year – that he had already had a couple of concussions, and the doctor said, you're, you're probably good now, but if you have another one this season, it could probably have um, lifelong effects on you. 
And so I think stuff like that was kind of uh, kind of on his mind. And he's he's more of a family guy, so he was kind of looking down the road instead of looking at the present. Um, one example of this is whenever he did win the uh, Super Bowl MVP back in 71, he was gifted a uh, Dodge Charger for being named Super Bowl MVP. And what he does is he takes that Dodge Charger and uh, trades it in for a station wagon. He says, I've got five <laughs> kids. He did. He, he, he said, I've got five kids. I've got no use for this. So I'm going to trade it in for something that uh, I can get some use out of. So um, wow. Stallback finished his NFL career with 22,700 passing yards, 153 passing touchdowns, 2,264 rushing yards, and another 21 rushing touchdowns. Um, at the time of his retirement, he boasted an 83.4 passer rating, which was the highest passer rating percentage of all time at, at that point. Um, he was a two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, six-time Pro Bowler, four-time passer Raider lead, leader. Um, he's a member of the 70s All-Decade team and the NFL 100th All-Century team. He's in the Cowboys Ring of Honor and a member of the NFL Hall of Fame. And um, when he retired from the NFL, you know, he still had um, – he still had pretty good health. He said even, even though, like, he could only lift his – I think left shoulder just a, just a little bit, maybe like maybe like that, about halfway. But he still had pretty good health, and um, he was able to go on and enjoy a very successful life outside the NFL. He is a very successful businessman, most notably with the Stallback Realty Estate. So pretty much in all phases of life, he's been able to enjoy a whole lot of success. Right. Talk, or I assume you're going to talk to me about a certain game at mile high against the Steelers for Mr. Tebow and your post-college career analysis of Tim Tebow. We'll get there. <laughs> when, Tebow when Tebow graduated Florida, enters himself into the NFL draft, he found himself in a lot of the same situations he found early in high school where his athleticism could not be denied, but is he really a quarterback? And that was a pretty highly debated topic going in, in between the end of his senior year and the NFL draft for a few months there. And you had two sides of the argument. On one side, you had Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame coach John Gruden, who thought that Tebow could revolutionize the game and called him, and I quote, the strongest human being that's ever played the position. He can throw well enough at any level. You had another Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame head coach, Tony Dungy, who said that he would draft Tim Tebow with a top 10 pick over any quarterback in that year's draft. That's one side of the argument. Two Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame quarterbacks. On the other side of the argument, you've got people like Mel Kuyper, who have made a living on being wrong more than they're right, uh, who said that he didn't think Tim Tebow had the intangibles to be an NFL quarterback. Said he didn't think he could do it. Said he might be worth a pick in the third round based on his athletic ability and maybe using him in different areas. Um, 
all over the field, probably more likely a tight end or a slot receiver position. Well, another Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame quarterback, not coach, but quarterback who was a GM, uh, and a quarterback with a jury or a head coach that had a rookie head coach, um, John Elway and uh, Josh Daniels decided that. Eh, we'll trade up into the first round. So Tebow ends up getting drafted in the first round uh, to the Denver Broncos. Uh, his first year, he played the last three games because of injury. Um, didn't look bad. Didn't look overly exceptional, but didn't look bad. Uh, he won one of those games. But really, he came more to life in his second year in the NFL. In 2011, the Broncos started one and four. So they made the decision to name Tim Tebow the starter. He became a starter, and in that back half of the year, he threw for 1,800 yards. He threw 12 touchdowns to only six interceptions. He ran for 660 yards and six touchdowns. And the Broncos came back and won the AFC West that year, meaning they get to playoff, they get to the playoffs. And not only that, they won their division, so they get to host a playoff game. Well, in come the big bad Pittsburgh Steelers to Mile High Stadium. Um, so Steelers come to Mile High for the wild card round. That game, Tebow did okay. He threw for 316 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, ran for 50 yards and a touchdown, and had a pretty big play in overtime that went a pretty good distance. And lo and behold, the Broncos won 29-23 in overtime, knocking off the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was the Broncos' first playoff win since 2005. And as a matter of fact, since 2005, there have only been two quarterbacks to win playoff games for the Broncos. One of those, Tim Tebow the jersey I'm wearing, one of those Peyton Manning, the jersey you are wearing, uh, in the twilight of his career. Another important note, um, Tony Dungy said he would draft Tebow over any other quarterback in that draft. Tony Dungy's a very smart man because Tim Tebow's the only quarterback in that draft class that included Sam Bradford, that included Colt McCoy. He's the only one that won, including Jimmy Clausen. He's the only one that won uh, a playoff game in his career. But that offseason afterwards, um, Peyton Manning was basically kicked out of Indianapolis. And um, John Elway thought <laughs> he'd bring him into uh, – Elway thought he'd bring him in. You'd rather have Peyton Manning than uh, second, third-year Tim Tebow. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You want to win now. Uh, so they trade Tebow to the Jets, where nothing good has ever happened uh, since Joe Namath in Super Bowl three. Um, so that experiment didn't go well, and then he got kind of tossed around. He signed for the Patriots for a little bit, didn't actually make the team. Signed for the Eagles a little bit, didn't actually make the team. So then he transitioned to broadcasting. Signed with ESPN, still works for ESPN some. Uh, mainly doing uh, SEC Network's 
version of College Game Day, uh, a lot of college analysis. But then in 2016, Tebow announced he wanted to try his hand at baseball. Now, he hadn't played baseball really since his junior year of high school back in 2005. Uh, so the odds of him being on a professional level were a little sketch. Didn't, a lot of people didn't think it would happen. Uh, granted, he was a good baseball player in high school. He was all state his junior year. The Angels had told him if he played his senior year, they were going to draft him at some point. Um, so he was a baseball prospect, but then obviously uh, football happened. But he announced in August of 2016 he was going to have a, an open tryout and invited all Major League Baseball teams to come to come uh, watch. Before the tryout even happened, he was offered a contract by two separate independent minor league teams and a team in Venezuela um, who saw an opportunity there. Uh, but, of course, he has this tryout after this tryout. Tim Tebow is a man after my own heart. He signs with the New York Mets uh, to a minor league deal. Uh, his very first home run as a professional in the, instructional, in the instructional league, excuse me, his very first at bat was a home run um, because he's a winner, and that's what he does. Uh, that story is still being told. It's a story in progress. I mean, in 2016, he was a 28-year-old rookie, basically. Um, odds aren't in his favor, but, you know, it's a story still being told. He was on the Mets spring training team this year. He homered in spring training uh, this year. And, honestly, he's in a position when COVID is over and fans are back in the stands – and if the Mets start to Mets um, in September, if they're out of a race in the next year or two and attendance is down and they need to boost sales, it's very plausible that at some point in the next few years, Tebow will get a major league call. Will he go on to be an all-star in the major leagues one day? Probably not. Um, but a September call-up in the next couple years – is a very possible thing. Uh, and as a matter of fact, next year, the World Baseball Classic uh, hopefully will still go on as planned. And Tim Tebow is playing in the World Baseball Classic for the Philippines because that's where he was born. They asked him to play, and he was uh, very happy to oblige them. Um, so we will get to see him play with the best baseball players in the world. Uh, when the World Baseball Classic rolls around next year. So that story is still being told. Are you one of these people that honestly believes that Tim Tebow would have been a good NFL quarterback if he was in a better situation, not New York, um, but somewhere else? Do, do you honestly believe that he could have been a good NFL quarterback if he was in a better situation? He had a winning record. He won a playoff game. Why wouldn't he be? He was never given an opportunity past that. Why wouldn't he be? There's nothing that shows me he can't. There is more evidence to show he would have been than evidence to show he wouldn't have. He was in a bad situation where his name garnered so much attention, teams didn't want to deal with it. If you, I'm not trying to be political at all, but the best comparison I can make right now, look at Colin Kaepernick. Don't look at anything political about it. 
Colin Kaepernick, while not as good as he thinks he is by any stretch of the imagination, could have easily been a backup quarterback in the last four or five years for a team. But a team's not going to bring him in because of the attention he's going to bring in that could be a distraction. Tebow, not through negative attention, but just positive attention. Tim Tebow, for a while, was in that category of a LeBron James-like where if he farted, ESPN was right there to tell you what he had for lunch and what the decibel level of the fart was. He brought a lot of attention with him, and teams didn't want to deal with that, and because of that, he didn't get a fair shake. But there's more evidence to show he would have been a good quarterback than a bad one. I just asked the questions. So don't shoot the messenger. I just, I'm just to ask her questions on this humble show. I just answered your question. There we go. <laughs> well, to bring it home, tell us, right, what is the legacy, at least college, the college sense? What is the legacy of Tim Tebow? I think when you think Tim Tebow, um, especially at the collegiate level, but even into today, um, it, it's two things that aren't connected, but with him they are connected. Um well, there's a couple combinations. And the first one is his faith and his influence. And those are connected. Tim Tebow, very, very, very Christian man. Um, he's never been ashamed of that. He, he's displayed that pretty much anytime he's been in the public eye. Uh, was known for having uh, Bible studies and prayers with his teammates at Florida. Some of them probably should have paid a little better attention during those times um, when you when history looks back at it. But, you know, <laughs> he, he was involved in that. But when I say that his faith and his influence are connected, national championship game against Oklahoma, Tim Tebow used to wear eye black under his eyes, and he would write messages on those and the eye black, and it was usually scripture. In that game, on national television, it's a national championship game, he had John 3.16 on his eye black, which I don't necessarily know the popularity of different Bible verses uh, as far as the world goes, but I would guess it's probably the most well-known Bible verse that there is out there. It's John 3.16, but despite that fact, when he wore that on his eye black in the national championship that game, within the next 24 hours, John 3.16 was Googled 94 million times after that game because there was an influence there connected with his faith. Another thing, a few years ago, there were two things that were kind of back-to-back that became fads. One was planking. People went to plank wherever they could. And the, other, the next thing – was Tebowing, which was basically mimicking him where he dropped to a knee and said a prayer before every game. Uh, him doing that sparked people Tebowing, where they would be taking a knee wherever they were. Um, but his faith and his influence uh, over people is one thing I think is his legacy. Another thing when we're talking more of him as an athlete him as a competitor, two things that, that go hand in hand. Another combo is his toughness and his competitiveness. Um, overcoming the odds is something he's always done. He was not supposed to be born, but he was. Um, he's dyslexic. 
but he still went on to be an academic All-American. He broke his leg in high school, we talked about earlier, and finished the game, including a long touchdown run. Um, his sophomore year of college against FSU, he fractured his right hand in that game. Didn't come out of the game because it wasn't his throwing hand. Uh, wore a cast for three weeks after that and then started the bowl game. Never missed a game. Uh, right after that national championship game against Oklahoma, he announces he's coming. A week later, he announced in the swamp, I'm coming back next year. I'm not going pro. The next day after that, after he announced that, he had surgery on his right shoulder to remove a bone spur that had been causing him problems all year, his junior year, the year that was probably the best of his career. Um, his senior year, Kentucky game, he was sick as a dog all day going into that game. He had to have IV fluids, two bags worth, pumped into him before the Kentucky game, went out there, in the third quarter of that game, when he's already sick as a dog, he takes a sack and on the way down hits his head against Marcus Gilbert, his tackles, knee brace, one of those hard knee braces. Uh, takes a sack, hits his head on the knee brace on the way down, shows immediate signs of a concussion, eyes are glazed over, gets to the sidelines and throws up. And uh, they had an off week the next week. Tebow never missed a game for that. Um, so his his just all his whole life, his toughness, his competitiveness, um, his leadership, the promise. I promise you, no one will play as hard as I do the rest of this season. Nobody will push his team to play as hard as we will play the rest of this season. And they did. They went on to win a national championship. So I think his legacy is his faith and influence his toughness and his competitiveness, and his leadership. And he's a winner. Always has been, on and off the field. And there's been nothing to show otherwise. Bennett, haven't heard from you in a while. I'm still here. Sorry. <laughs> Tell me about the uh, the college legacy of Mr. Stop. Yeah, real quick here. Um, when I think of some of the words that would best describe uh, Roger Staubach's collegiate career, there were a few that came to mind, such as uh, resilience, leadership, toughness, fortitude, uh, a man of faith like Mr. Tim Tebow, um, man of honor, a, a dual threat quarterback, um, the ultimate teammate, Heisman winner and Hall of Famer. But there, uh, there's a couple that that stuck out to me more than the rest that I thought were, were worth mentioning. First is his his leadership um, during his time at Naval Academy. Um, before I talk about that, let's go back a little bit to um, his high school days. Um, his coaches said that Mr. Stallback had always possessed an ability to uh, grab people's attention and something that the coaches noticed that his, his teammates, whether they were older than him or, say, major younger, they always 
seemed uh, to listen to him. And that's something that you can't really teach. That's just something that, that you're born with. Um, he, he went from being a, a freshman wide receiver to, uh, to quarterback to lead his team to a nine and one mark, like I said, which was ninth in the state. And then he goes to, to college and goes from being fourth string Loman on the totem pole his sophomore year to all the way up to starting uh, midway through the season and uh, would go on to lead them to a nine and one mark and an appearance in the NCAA championship game. Um, another thing about Mr. Stallback at Navy was um, he was, he was a really good, he was a great teammate and he was, uh, he wasn't selfish. He was a, uh, he showed a lot of selflessness. Um, Roger himself once said that you have to give a darn about something else besides yourself. His exact words. Um, when when he was awarded the Heisman Trophy, um, and this is a guy we're talking about that's you know in his what very early twenties. He was quick to point out that that this wasn't a he award. This this was a team award. And that he joked that one day he was going to cut the trophy up into a bunch of small pieces and hand them out to all his teammates. And who knows, maybe, maybe one day he may very well end up doing just that. Who knows? I'm talking about being a good, a good teammate. Um, he, he went to war um, with his teammates quite, quite literally. Um, the, the men that he played with, you know, they went to war on the gridiron and uh, they went to war overseas. And to this very day, um, he shares a great camaraderie with his teammates. They, uh, they still get together a lot. They still speak a lot. Um, he put his NFL career on hold to serve his country. And he and his teammates also, also helped to heal the nation um, during um, – John F. Kennedy's tragic assassination. So, yeah, like real quick, I'd say that his legacy would be um, his ability to be a great leader um, on and off the field and his ability to be a great teammate. Um, we could also say both on and off the field as well. All right. I don't have any follow-up questions for either, either of you tonight. So – Let's just go straight into closing arguments, right? Convince me, convince me that Tim Tebow is not as good as Peyton Manning. Can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. Why not? Know hmm. me? You know what I meant. <laughs> Here's the thing. If we're looking at who had the better career overall, especially if we factor in a professional level. This is obviously a Roger Staubach answer. Um, he's an NFL Hall of Famer, won a couple Super Bowl rings, um, was part of some historic teams there in Dallas. But we're talking strictly college here. And when we talk strictly college – I'm going to keep this short as opposed to my other answers. Bleacher Report, Sports Nation, 
24-7 sports, fan buzz, and an ESPN coaches poll they did of active college coaches a couple years ago. All those things have in common. They named Tim Tebow as the greatest college quarterback of all time. And that was pretty common anywhere you look. I've said numerous times on the show I like to Google other lists. Interesting note on the ranker poll where the fans vote on who's the greatest of all time, Tebow is number two. Number one was Joe Burrow. I think there was some recency bias there <laughs> by quite a bit. But all these other ones, they say Tim Tebow. But probably my strongest source, a father of a good friend of this show, won't name any names, but he's the only guest we've ever had on this show up to this point. His father is an Ole Miss graduate who has been going to games in Oxford since Joe Namath was at Alabama. A while. And he's one of my favorite human beings on the face of the earth. And me and him had a chat a couple years ago now. And somehow the topic of Tim Tebow came up. And he told me, and he was being serious. There are times he's not always so serious, but he was being serious in this conversation. He looked at me and said, I've watched Joe Namath and every other player that's ever come through Oxford and play here play. And Tim Tebow is the greatest college football player I've ever seen in person in my life. And coming from him, that meant a lot. And I trust him over these other places like Bleacher Report, Sports Nation, ESPN. I would trust him over them, but they all agree. Tim Tebow is the greatest college quarterback of all time. He, there's an argument to be made he's the best college player of all time. But he's the best college quarterback of all time. No disrespect, Roger Staubach, who is a legend. For not only for the Naval Academy, but for this country. Um, my brother's a Cowboys fan. He's a big Staubach fan. Um, but on the collegiate level, Staubach was not at the level of Tim Tebow because nobody has ever been at the level of Tim Tebow. All right. But after listening to all that gibberish that just came out of Rhett's mouth, convince me, convince me that you should win tonight and that Roger Staubach is the better college quarterback than Tim Tebow. Yeah, I also got on got on the Googles here and uh, was looking at um, some of these polls that were published by various uh, so-called experts, if you will. Um, interestingly enough, in January of this year, 2020, ESPN put out uh, their list of the top 150 college football players of all time, and they ranked Roger Staubach number 11, and they had no quarterback ranked ahead of him. In mm. fact, they had the next highest-ranked quarterback at 21. You know who that was? The man of the jersey you're wearing, Peyton Manning. Ooh, I like uh, this poll. I like this poll. I found also a uh, 
a poll that was put out by Bleacher Report here fairly recently, not not this year, but two or three years old. And they had a very similar list, top 100, top 150 um, at college athletes of all time. And they ranked Roger Staubach as the ninth greatest college football player of all time. He was the second highest ranked quarterback. You know who was ranked ahead of him? Sammy Ball. One spot ahead of him at number eight. Likewise, NBC Sports ranked Stallback number 11 in their list of the greatest uh, college players of all time. And there was no quarterbacks ranked higher than Stallback. And all these were, uh, all these polls are compiled by a panel of judges that know a thing or two about football. It's not ranker, it's not. Uh, you know, these kids go on here and say, yo, yeah, Joe Burrow, he's the man. <laughs> these are the same people that voted Johnny Manziel as the greatest ever. And you don't hear nothing about Johnny Manziel anymore, exactly. Money football. <laughs> <laughs> Money phone. Uh, for his college career, he finished with 3,799 passing yards, 635 rushing yards, and 36 touchdowns. I talked about him being a kind of a pioneer of that dual threat quarterback. And I think this stat really shows that he had 18 passing touchdowns and 18 rushing touchdowns. You can't get too much more even than that. Um, as a junior, he won the Maxwell award, the Heisman award was a consensus all American with Forrest Gump there. And he was just the fourth person ever in history to win a Heisman and be named a Super Bowl MVP. He's a college NFL Hall of Famer. Um, his number 12 jersey has been retired by Navy, like I've talked about before. And like him or not, I know everybody has their own opinions about this man, but Lee Corso went on television and said that Roger Stallback was the greatest football player ever. That's what Lee Corso said. And he's seen quite a few players. Yes. Most recently – uh, Mr. Stallback was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom a couple of years ago in 2018. Now, I know that when you look at his stats, like I talked about, they don't jump off the page like some of these guys do today. But we can't really compare Stallback's stats from the 60s with those of your guys from the 2000s even the 2010, 2020s, they're completely different eras. Mm -hmm. And these two men's careers were over 40 years apart. The game was vastly, vastly different in Stallback's time. We weren't around to see Stallback's heroics um, on the football field every Saturday. You know, we have the stats, but we don't see like that one play that he made that kept the drive going or that one little thing that he did, or maybe an audible that he called at the line. We don't see that. Like we did see, with Tebow, we lived through the Tebow era, so we know all about um, what Tebow did on the field. But what we do know is that during his time, Stallback was unquestionably the greatest player in the NCAA at his time. He greatly exceeded those of his those, those peers. He greatly exceeded his peers um, when he was given the opportunity and whenever he stayed healthy. Um, he didn't have like a team full 
of NFL player uh, caliber talent. The only player from any of those teams that he played on to go on to play professionally was him. It was just Stallback. Um, he is, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest player to ever come out of Naval Academy. And I would venture to say he's probably the greatest player to ever come out of any of the service branches. Um, it's, it's hard to do to, to make that statement that you are the bona fide greatest player to ever come from your school. Um, you, can, you look at Tim Tebow, and he's certainly up there as the greatest Florida Gator of all time. I, I, I totally agree. He's one of the greats. But it could be a matter of opinion. Somebody could also say that maybe Emmett is the greatest Florida Gator of all time. Maybe they say Steve Spurrier, Danny Warfel, Chris Leak, Fred Taylor. If somebody thinks that Fred Taylor was great. Javon Curse, if you're a defensive guy. Now, we've, we've poked fun at this a lot tonight, but, Elrod, this is your chance to finally give Tebow that loss. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, though, Roger Stallback wasn't just a great quarterback. He was also a great American hero. Mm. So, when you make your decision tonight, I hope that you vote for America. As in, love, I love this. As in Captain America. <laughs> so you should vote for Roger the Dodger Stallback. Not right, so how many episodes? <laughs> how many episodes will this make us since we've been doing this? This is our twenty-third. Bennett's closing argument is the greatest closing argument we've had in twenty-three episodes, money body. <laughs> vote for America? Over America. Okay, football rules. No, no, he brought it. He, he brought it in that closing argument with a lot of good, good stats. A lot of stuff I was going to cover in my analysis, but let's get right to it. I'm kind of curious to see how Stallback stats would have been if we brought him to the modern age and put him under center for those four years in Gainesville. Would he have won a national championship with that talent? Probably. Do y'all agree with that? At least once. It's, it's hard to say, you know. Likewise, if you put Tim Tebow on those Navy teams back in the 60s, th does he have the same success as Stallback had? We really don't know. That's – don't know. He'd be way Stop bigger there. than anybody on the Navy <laughs> He'd be bigger than his linemen. It'd be some Jared Lorenzen stuff going on. <laughs> All right. So, it's no secret that I've wanted to go out of my way to screw Tim Tebow tonight in terms of giving him the loss. So, I went back in time and looked. I was convinced that Navy did not have a lot of success. I knew they had in the early 20th century with them and Army, I knew they had a bunch of success. I went back and looked at the stats in terms of their performance in the late 50s. Navy was good before Stahlback got there in the late 50s. Uh, they, uh, in 59, they finished uh, 
13th. They had a fifth. The year before that, they finished fifth in the AP poll. Before that, 16th. So it wasn't like that Navy was chopped liver during that time. I thought that Stahlbeck came along and resurrected them and brought them back. I mean, they didn't go to the national championship in those seasons, but they were not bottom feeders like they were in the later 20th century or or a decade before that. They were they were pretty they were a perennial top 25 team. back put them over the top and brought them to that elite level. But I have to look at the stats. I have to look at the fact that Tim Tebow is responsible for a national championship as a starting quarterback. If you don't have him in 2006, I don't think Florida wins that national championship. I think they lose two or three games. They lose the Tennessee game for sure. They might have lost a couple more. Um, you got to look at – I can't hold the talent against Tebow against him. I mean, it's just circumstances he was in. He played a lot of good talent against a lot of good talent too. He did. I, I, he also played in the SEC in the in that era. As much as I want to give this victory to Bennett, and as much as I want to give him his first loss against the Men in Orange. You know what? Screw it. This, this, I, I am, I am the mediator tonight. In the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Roger Staubach is the victor tonight, and Bennett wins the show tonight. Tim Tebow gets his first loss against the Men in Orange, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it was. Well, you, you called it right. <laughs> now to you, the listener. Call me Nostradamus. Call me Nostradamus, as I think Bennett referred to me as the other day for a completely separate topic. But I told you what was going to happen, and it did. I knew I wasn't going to convince this idiot. I knew I wouldn't, and it's fine. You all heard the arguments. You all make your own decisions. So, Bennett? Victory speech. What the? Uh, um, I'm gonna take this time to show off this little gem, people. This will be a YouTube exclusive. This, my friends, is my charm tonight. Nice. Um, no, I mean it's something like this is really hard to pit uh, two guys that are from completely different eras up to it. I think both of these men are excellent, excellent. Uh, quarterbacks at the college level and even in the pro level. Um, it was a fun show for sure. I got my Forrest Gump reference in. Was this one of your favorite favorite episodes? Um, it's one of my favorite. I'm going to have to go back and watch film and see if it's going to be the favorite. That's your lowest praise for an episode thus far. (laughs) Hmm. I'm shocked. That we went this far into the show, I'm disappointed in both of you. There was a great song a few years ago by a gentleman named Mark Wills called 19-something, and he talks about – Roger Staubach in my backyard. Exactly. Nobody (laughs) mentioned it. 
I thought about it a few times, but it's like, mm. it's a great song. I mean, it's the only thing he ever did. I mean, you know, that is the most, that song is the most played song in the 90s in country music. Do you know that? 99? I think it came out I, in I didn't know it, but I don't doubt it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I mean, it talks about Roger Staubach, talks about Scratch Armstrong, and it talks about Daisy Duke. Space Shuttle. America. Well, that's just sad, but it does talk about it. Talks about Elvis, too. But anyway, all right, guys. Well, another one in the books. How does it feel to take that big L for your boy, Tim Tebow? How does it feel, right? How does it feel? Does it feel like it felt for me for four years when he was ruining my birthdays every year? Feels about 25% as bad because it's only happened once. <laughs> <laughs> but um guys and gals thanks for voting thanks for checking the show out be sure you check out next week because next week's show we've got a guest coming in it's a little off format but it's gonna be fun and if it's fun enough we may do it again sometime uh be sure to keep posted to the socials to see the previews for that join us right back here next week uh, for Mr. Casey Elrod, Mr. Brian Bennett, gentlemen, any parting words? See you Go guys. Balls. Go Noles. All right. See you guys later. Peace. Go Peace. Gators.